Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. It's been a wild ride that has turned into a wild result on Tuesday day, Tuesday afternoon, into the night that resulted into a wild card berth and a wild night of celebration for the Washington Nationals. Hello, everyone. Welcome into the Mass and All Access podcast presented by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student athletes and programs today. We are your hosts of the Mass and All Access podcast, Bobby Blanco, alongside Paul Mancano, as always. And Paul, the, the Nats did it. They did it. They came down from the lowest low, one of the lowest points, maybe definitely of this season, maybe in franchise history after all the expectations, and came back, fought all the way back. It's a long season. They uh, sealed a wild card berth on Tuesday. Everything that had to go right on Tuesday afternoon did. I don't know how many teams that have a magic number of three at the start of the day and clinch on the same day, but they were able to pull it off. They got some help. And, Paul, you were in the middle of all of it, the celebration in the, in the Nationals Clubhouse on Tuesday night. I'm not going to lie. I could feel it coming at that day. We we watched it happen. The, the game one happened in Baltimore on TV, and then we were driving down in the hopes that they could clinch that night, but knowing that we might have to be back on Wednesday, might have to be back on Thursday even. But especially because... The going into that game, I mean, the the Cubs were facing a Pirates team that is bad. Yeah, <laughs> and up until about the sixth inning, they had a one nothing lead, and Kyle Hendricks was throwing a no hitter at one point. Yeah. So it felt like it was going to be a long shot, but then all of a sudden, baseball is weird like that. So one weird. thing happens, and the other, it felt like magic um, for them to to clinch on the on that day, which obviously wouldn't have been a big deal if they clinched on Wednesday or Thursday. Would have been a big deal to us because we would have to drive back and forth. So uh, glad that they got it done, and uh, it it all it all broke right. I and in the ninth inning, we could see it going down to the wire. We're like, all right, they're both both of these games are going top nine, and they could finish within one minute of the other one so how are they going to do this are they going to go back into the clubhouse and watch it they just stayed on the field for four minutes watch the uh the celebration it worked out real well right and i, I totally agree with you i mean i for one I, i'll admit i did not see it coming on tuesday i totally thought everything was lining up for them to clinch either on wednesday afternoon or today thursday um because not they again everything had to fall in place for them they had to win a doubleheader sweep the doubleheader against the phillies and they yeah. needed the cubs to lose in pittsburgh and I was like, okay, Joe Ross going game one, probably may not get that one. Yeah. And even if you do, Max Scherzer, I mean, it's just hard to win doubleheader. I know they did against the Phillies earlier in the season, but it's just so hard to win two in one day. Yeah. Even with Max Scherzer on the mound. And even if you do sweep that, I looked at the Cubs matchup in Pittsburgh. The Cubs have dominated the Pirates this year. They had Kyle Hendricks on the mound, who's been their best starter consistently throughout the season. And, you know, there was a point, I mean, it was within a matter of, I want to say like 15 minutes. It to- I totally flipped from being, well, they'll, they'll still have a shot tomorrow. At least they'll have a shot tomorrow to being, oh my God, they're going to do it tonight. Yeah. Because Trey Turner hit that go-ahead grand slam. Kyle Hendricks had a no-hitter going through six innings in Pittsburgh, and then the Cubs just imploded in the seventh inning, and all of a sudden it was 7-1 Pirates and 6-4 Nationals in that spark, and I was like, they're going to do it. Yeah, within, within like literally five minutes, it felt like it was... I was watching the the um, I wasn't watching the feed of the game, but I was watching the baseball uh, game day MLB.com, and I saw and I was like, all right, they got uh, Pirates have runners on, they have two runners on base, runners in scoring position, still no outs. Then I see in play runs, 
They tie the game up, and I'm watching as the Nats are loading the bases as well. And at one point, and so, and then the right as right before Trey Turner came to bat, I think is when the Pirates took the lead. Yeah. Um, and I we had a GoPro. I grabbed the GoPro. I ran down to the third floor, and I get. I step off the stairs and I'm running and I start recording as the pitch is being thrown for Trey to hit that grand slam. So I got video of fans That's freaking awesome. out yeah. and uh, the Cubs had just blown the lead. It was it was an unbelievable timing. It it felt like uh, like the baseball gods had intervened. They really did, and like the t- and there was two timing moments because, like you said, right then and there, both of those games flipped fortunes for the Nationals. They take yeah. the lead. The Cubs fall behind, and then at the end of the game. The Nationals seal the win. Daniel Hudson is nails in the ninth inning. Victor Robles cruises to catch the final out. And then with... How know, he got to that ball was ridiculous. I, that, I swear, I thought it was... Uh, one, I thought it was a dub, uh, home run, but then I, yeah. I didn't have enough loft, so I was like, all right, that's double in the gap. Yeah, and it just kept going, runs on and, second. and he somehow got under that ball. And after Bryce Harper had homered. Yeah, and yeah. he's just, just taking a nice jog in the yeah. outfield. Ridiculous. And just easily catching. And then, I think it was... I want to say it was like six minutes, seven minutes after... like the. From I think the it was moment, four minutes. Well, yeah. I'm from like the moment he caught the ball. Oh, yeah. So like everyone, because like they all kind of stood around, like now what we do. Yeah. And then uh, I liked that uh, Anthony Rendon was kind of in the middle of the f- infield, being like, "Come on, let like you know, let's yeah. celebrate this win. Like you know, worry about that later. We just want a, a double header. Let, let's right. let's celebrate ourselves." So everyone comes in the infield, hugs, high fives, like normal. And I thought it was awesome. Nationals Park, whoever runs that scoreboard, boom, immediately, immediately flipped it to the Pirates game. And then, like you said, within like four minutes, the uh, the Nationals were able to watch the Pirates lose the final out in Pittsburgh. Oh, sorry, the Pirates win. The Cubs lose the final out in Pittsburgh. Uh, and then the celebration went on. And you were in the middle of the clubhouse. How was that? Yeah, it was, uh, that was a good time. That was a real good time. Uh, the, yeah, I was the only other clinch I've been a part of Got was... Got that beer and champagne smell out. I, oh, I uh, one of them is still... Uh, my, my jacket, my rain jacket, still reeks quite a lot. I did wash most of my clothes last night. Most of it came out, but this is what happened two years ago, I remember, Yeah, um, is that, that for whatever reason, that rain jacket just holds that champagne smell. Yeah. And, of course, driving home, we were all concerned that we were going to get pulled over just because we all reeked of beer and champagne, and then they would do a breathalyzer and find out 0.0. 0. 0. But, uh, yeah, it was it was a, a wild celebration. Um, I mean, there what's... <laughs> Oftentimes in these celebrations, it's like the young guys, I think, that really are having the most fun out there. But yeah. Max was having a blast. I mean, he was really enjoying it. He loves to soak in those moments. Two years ago, I thought Ryan Zimmerman was a little bit calmer. He was a little bit on the outside. He was soaking this one up, too. He was right in the middle of it. Um, I think he was in the conga line at one point. Um, there was... It was a it was a raucous celebration. It was also it's also fun to to watch the other reporters watch it yeah. and see their level of excitement or you know I like Sam Fortier for the Washington Post who his first year covering the team was like he had his mouth agape he was just yeah. like where am I um, they're monsters <laughs> and the funniest part is as we're leaving um, all the girlfriends and wives are coming in at the very end. And Heather Zimmerman like runs up to Ryan and they're, you know, they're uh, dancing together. But then the rest of them are like crowded in a tight bunch and they're all up against the wall, like staring into it, like (laughs) horrified. Like, which one of them is my husband? Yeah, That reminds me a lot of my college parties. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Just all the girls in the corner being scared. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Yeah, no, great celebration. Deservedly so. I mean, I think there's a conversation to be had. I, on on the whole... I think there's too much celebrating in baseball. 
There's too many. Really? Sh- there's too much champagne. Like, but for this team, I would normally like the Brewers last night. Well, they got back to back. They seem more calm than Nationals. This team knows how to party. By the way, you talk about they Max do, Scherzer. Yeah. He's done this before. But I ever. I mean, he just. He's a, he's an animal. I mean, did you see him on the uh, post game? Oh, I did, and I heard him. Little. Uh, what? How do you describe? Banged up. Yeah, banged up. But not injury one. He loves Bud everything. Uh, Bud whatever. <laughs> Bud whatever. Bud whatever. Um, but I, I, I think this team in particular. You know. My whole argument is that you technically haven't won anything. You you got a spot to continue playing. It's not a division title, but considering where this Nationals team started this year, where they were nineteen and thirty one on May twenty fourth, you deserve to celebrate that. You, they've done something that only two other teams in the National League history have ever done: coming back to make the postseason after being twelve games under five hundred at any point in the season. And I, you've got to attribute one the veterans on this team how they stuck together, and they, and they kept the young guys fighting. Two young guys for, more often than not, carrying this team. You talk yeah. about Rendon, Soto, Robles, Trey Turner, having great seasons, keeping the team in it. But I think a lot of the credit, if not most of the credit, has to go to Davey Martinez. I mean, this is a guy that many people across town, across the nation, and a lot of uh, national pundits were saying, he, you know, something needs to change, he, calling for his job, just not cut out for it. Um, and you know, what do you say? Focus on today, win today, yeah. want to know today. And uh, it's cliche. I understand that, but it, I think that's the honest God truth mentality that he took day in and day out. And this team kind of took with him or from him, I yeah. should say. And, it, and that's how you get back. That's how you go from 12 under 500 to a playoff berth in a span of a couple months. Well, and the thing that about Davey Martinez that those who have been around him for any amount of time can say is that positivity, that's not fake. That is, you know, some people, some fans might get turned off by it, but that is genuinely him. That is his personality. He's not projecting this for the media's sake or projecting it for his team's sake. That's how he carries himself, is he is a positive guy who puts losses behind him quickly, who thinks on the bright side and who keeps these guys together. And it all came out in that final speech that they ran live from the clubhouse on air. And, you know, you could see the way that, the team responded to him and it was the way that he was preaching, was saying what he was saying. It was like, he'd said it a thousand times to them over and over again. They knew what was coming. They knew, they knew this speech before because he's given it. Um, And he, to his credit, like you said, Bobby, he remained positive through it all. And, you know, for all the fans who were complaining about how positive he was while they were stinking, you can make an argument that's what kept them together. That's the I, reason that they were there, yeah, that they're so. here right now. Yeah, and and the energy he brings every day, and the guys feed off that. And yeah. I think that's what you know kept veterans locked in. You talk about Ryan Zimmerman, a guy who's been hurt a lot of the season, comes in and is still locked in and is still having a positive vibe, even though you know he himself is not having a great year because yeah. the team is winning and because they stuck together. Um, that I, I really think about, and I think Alex Chappell talked to on. I don't know if you noticed, but. On Nat's extra pregame show on Wednesday, they did a top five, Alex's top five moments from the celebration. Oh, yeah, I saw that. And her number one was her on-field interview with Dave Martinez because of the emotion he gave her. Like, he was choking up, talking yeah. about, you know, we're still in the fight. We're still fat. We're still fighting. We're still here. We still can keep playing. Um, and he, I think it's it's one thing to say all that and, and, and be genuine about it, but another thing to, like, he means it not for himself but for his players. You yeah. know, he wants it to keep fighting for his players. He wants these guys to keep playing 
and and have a shot at at the postseason and NLDS and NLCS a World Series and, and and so and so forth. I remember near the end of May, it might have been on that May twenty fourth or whatever. It was it was right around the time where they were just getting back from New York and they were in the midst of losing. And I remember talking to Mark and they they were around twelve games under five hundred, and he said because they were two and eight I think in their last ten. And Mark Zuckerman said I think if they went if they won eight of their next 10, then eight of their next 10, then eight of their next 10, they'd be a few games over 500, basically. So, like, he was talking, you know, we were talking then about how daunting it was going to be um, to come back from it. And, you know, Bob and FP, I remember, were, like, kind of dancing around it on the air because it's, you you, you never want to declare a season dead in May. Yeah. But it was as close to a dead season as you can get at that point in the season. Right. I mean, it was, you you didn't want to say it, but it was, like, you know, they were, I feel like they were a week away from making some tough decisions about trading guys. Well, well, you and I had multiple conversations around that time of the season on this podcast about yeah. where they should be trading. I, there was a point where you and I even had to text Mark. He's like, is there any chance that Davey gets fired before they yeah. get back to DC? Like right. we need to prepare for a show if that it were to happen. Yeah. And, and obviously it didn't and, and everything worked out the way it was. But yeah, I mean, again, it was like the lows of the low around that late May because we thought serious changes were coming. The, yeah. Again, I, I think obviously the Nationals franchise, this team in D.C. has had losing seasons, has had disappointing seasons. But considering what happened last year and the expectations coming into this year, like almost a playoff or bust kind of mentality and to start off the season Definitely. like that was, I think, one of the lowest points for this Nationals team to be. And then to come back from that, to climb all the way back, is, is pretty spectacular and, again, historical. To only two other National League teams in the history of baseball have ever done that, 12 games under 500 and made the postseason. Yeah. So they've not only clinched the playoff berth, but they etched themselves into baseball history and, with this comeback. And I may be in the minority here, I don't know, but I think anybody who is criticizing the fact that they celebrated is doesn't know what they're talking about. Because yeah. it's, it's not just where they came from. I think every team, every team that gets into the dance even if it's a wild card game, even if you you can only you know you're only guaranteeing yourself one more game, so few teams make it, and you play 162 games. Yeah, I mean these guys are exhausted out there. These guys are finally being able to get days off because they have clinched a spot now. Their first days off for a lot of them for since May. These guys have put in work constantly the entire season, and fewer teams in baseball make the play. You know, fewer baseball teams make the playoffs than in any other sport. You know, in the NBA, the majority of the teams make the playoffs. In the NFL, you you get a couple wild cards, and it, it's it's just it's harder to make the playoffs in in, in baseball. Yeah, um, and it's it's it, any team that gets there, even if it is just one more game, deserves the chance to celebrate because they they've been through a ton. It's just a, a chance for them to blow off some steam. And look, you know, if you're saying, oh, well, you know, it's it doesn't mean anything yet. Well, only one team really would get to celebrate then because only one team goes home with the chant with the the, uh, the commissioner's trophy. Uh, yeah, I think my point about that, I wasn't dogging the Nationals for celebrating. No, no, I, I think they should have celebrated because of where they came from. And, and right. Making the playoffs is something worth celebrating. But I, I just think overall in baseball, like, you know, if they win. On Tuesday, they're going to have a champagne celebration on Tuesday. If they win the NLDS, you have a champagne celebration. If you win the NL, like, you right. know, it's just, that's a little too much. No other sport do you celebrate like that after every round of the playoffs. True. So that that's kind of, but no, to the Nationals particularly, they deserve to celebrate. 
and, and you saw, you saw they. It's not just that this team is young and have has have like goofy characters like Brian Dozier, Kurt Suzuki, Howie Kendrick, guys like that, Max Max Scherzer in, in the clubhouse that they you know celebrated extensively. I think it's more so like you know we tried so hard to come back from where we like we had we put in the work every day from you know well from spring training but to you know I, I think. As an athlete, you cannot not appreciate the effort that you put in yourself to come back from being in last place. Yeah. You know, it's like it's like going worst to first of a course of a season. That takes a lot of effort. It's not like they were in second place the entire season and then clinched the wild card spot. No, they were again coming from the lowest point possible and fighting all the way back to make this place. That is worth celebrating. I, I totally get that. Yeah. Um, but we'll see what happens uh, Tuesday. If the celebrations continue. Uh, the questions are still up in the air, Paul. We don't know. Who they're playing, where they're playing, uh, we know. I think the time of the game is eight oh eight on TBS, but that's all we know uh, because there is so much more going on in that National League Central. As we're recording this podcast right now, the Brewers are playing their getaway game in Cincinnati against the Reds. They're currently trailing, but they're only a game and a half behind the Red, uh, the Cardinals. Excuse me, and the Cardinals are Red off Birds. today. The Redbirds. Uh, the Cardinals are off today, so they can gain a half game, only be one game back of the Cardinals at the end of the day. The Nationals play later today uh, from this recording, and so you know they could catch the Nationals if if they end up if the Brewers end up winning, and if the Nationals end up losing today, or the Nationals you know can create more space for home field advantage. A lot can still happen between now Thursday and. 7 p.m. ish Sunday because all the games start at 30 o'clock right East Coast time on Sunday. Um, I, I think what you and I are going to do right now before we're obviously going to talk about who should start the wild card game for the Nationals. We'll do that in the later half of the episode. But I, let's kind of let's just go on the assumption that the Nationals are going to play the Brewers because I think that's m- most likely going to shape up. The Cardinals play the lowly Cubs this weekend starting tomorrow. The, I would assume they can win the majority of two out of three, if not. Sweeps. They were designed. It's at home too for the Cardinals. Um, the Milwaukee goes to the Rockies, so anything can happen in Coors Field with uh, the ball flying in that ballpark. So let's go on the assumption that the Nationals are playing the Brewers on Tuesday. You wanted to go position by position and see where the advantage is. Uh, which team has which advantages, right? And, pretty, pretty much. Not exactly position by position, but. You know, some some key stats that might sway, especially considering it's a one-game series, right. you know? That's the other thing, too. It's like, it's kind of hard to go position by position because it's not, like, you would think over a course of, like, a five-game series, a seven-game series. That would matter, yeah. Averages would play out. You you would say, okay, you know, having a better third baseman over a course of five games would be better. But, like you said, one game, anything can happen. You know, it's, averages kind of go out the window for, right. for one game. You're right, exactly. So, um, a few things that I think, if we do assume that it's the Brewers that we should look at, one is obviously to start with the starting pitching matchup because, um, yeah. you know, let's let's operate. We can talk later on the show, but I, I would say Max Scherzer has the edge at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, if it is Max Scherzer, um, he would be going up against a Brewers lineup that he tends to do pretty well against. Um, the Some of the big-time hitters in that Brewers lineup, Yasmani Grandal, the catcher, he's an 063 hitter with just one hit in 60, 16 at-bats against Scherzer in his career. Ryan Braun who's been having a really good year. Zero hits in 14 at-bats, five strikeouts. He's never even walked against Max Scherzer. He's never gotten on base against Max Scherzer. Wow. It's pretty surprising, considering the career he's had. Mike Moustakis, 167 with just one homer in 37 at-bats 
against Max Scherzer. Lorenzo Cain, no hits in 16 uh, plate appearances. And the one guy who hits above average, well above average, against Max Scherzer is Christian Yelich, who will not be in that series. Not be playing. Um, He is a 345 hitter with three homers in 31 plate appearances against Max Scherzer over his career. Only Martin Prado, Alex Gordon, and weirdly Odubel Herrera for the Phillies have a higher batting average against Scherzer with 31 or more plate appearances against him in their careers. That's interesting. It seems like he clears through that lineup with ease. But the one thing that would stick out that sticks out to me looking at this Milwaukee lineup is, I mean, we know the, everyone's hitting home runs this season, but Milwaukee has hit a lot of home runs. And now a, lot, a large chunk of that is due to Christian Yelich, who, again, won't be playing. He is 44. Yeah. But then going down the lineup, Yasmani Grandel, 27. Eric Thames, 24. Mike Moustakis, 35. Ryan Braun, 22. If there's one thing that would concern me or should concern Nationals fans with Max starting is he is very susceptible to the long ball. No so question. giving home up and every run matters in a winner take all, you know, yes, historically averages again, he ha- he does well against this lineup, right? Not giving up base hits, but all it takes is that one, you know, he, Max has done actually really well not walking anybody since he's been back from the IL, which is, yep. which is very good. That's, and he will tell you himself, that's what he's aiming for. But the home runs, man, he gives up a lot. He's very susceptible to that. He probably leads the Nationals' rotations in home runs, I'm assuming. I haven't actually double-checked that. But with the, with the power in this Brewers lineup, it's just it, all it takes is one. And you would hope that he, he rises up to the occasion. And also, you know, what kind of leash is he going to have? Yep. Uh, still come off the IL. He's gone over 100 pitches, I believe, his last couple starts, which is good. I don't think he's gotten through the sixth yet. I think he's pitched into the seventh, but had he yanked? i, I got to double-check that again. But, yeah, I mean, it's kind well, of like, do you take the averages and think, hey, he, he does well against his lineup, or do you go, well, they mash, so do you want right. maybe someone who doesn't give up as many homers? Uh, interesting you mentioned how long of a leash he will get because, you know, oftentimes the turning point is going to be the third time through the, the lineup, and that, uh, especially in playoff games, we see that all the time. Pitchers tend to go five, starting even if they're having a good outing, just because that third time through the lineup, managers are so afraid of having to to have a pitcher throw to a guy for the third time. Max, traditionally, this year has been pretty well that third time through the lineup. Uh, 219, that's what opponents are hitting against him in the third time. And that is with a lower home run rate than the first or second time through the lineup. However, he is walking more guys third time through the lineup, and he is striking out a whole lot less third time through the lineup, which would make sense. Yeah. Because, um, you know, now that... Players have seen his arsenal. They see what he's going to throw. They're probably just going to make some contact, but they're not doing it very well, only hitting 219 against Right, him. and you're also probably sitting more than as opposed to attacking him. Yes. Um, in, the, in later at-bats as opposed to earlier at-bats, your first time up or, or so. Yeah, you, you keep an eye on that pitch count, maybe want to take him out of the game too. Yeah, but then also, like I mean, on the flip side of the coin, it's Max Scherzer. You know he's just going to give you everything he's got. I mean, the grunts. We know what he's like on the mound when he's just – Emptying the tank, you know, FB says yeah, all the time. He's just, at this yeah. point, he's just emptying the tank, giving you every ounce of energy he has in order to get you out, whether that be via strike. I, surprisingly, he doesn't, because he has so many, I mean, he's coming up on 110 plus strikeout games in his career. He has so many 10 plus strikeout games. I'd be interested to see how many of those games where he gets the majority of those Ks early on in, in those at-bats as opposed to later. Because I feel like, you know, with you know, striking out 10 guys, you have to, get some strikeouts late in late in the later innings. You yeah. can't just pile up. But 
maybe he does. Is there any, how do I say this? Is there any way that you kind of piece together, like, let's say, is there an innings limit? I guess it was like I'm asking. Or I, is there a, like, is there a goal? Like, hey, Max, right. I need you to get through the sixth. Or I need you to get sixth and two-thirds. Like, what's the goal here? I think the way that Davey has been talking, where he's said all guys are on the table, Strasburg's on the table, Corbin's on the table, Sanchez is on the table. I don't think Davey, I mean, I think he cares, but I don't, I don't, I don't think that he's like, we have to, you know, if, if they go into the sixth inning and he's looking at that lineup and he doesn't like the matchups, I think he's going to pull them. I don't think he's going to, you know, keep them in there just because he needs to get X number of innings. I think he could, because he can throw Corbin or Strasburg or even Sanchez in there, I think he's just going to, he's going to pull them the, 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 you know, not a, on the earlier side as opposed to the later right. side. Right. I, I guess that was the question. What's the game plan? Are you yeah. going to just let Max go and see how, let the game dictate? Or are you right. going in with a game plan? All right, Max, you've got till the sixth, then I'm going to throw, or earlier. And then because he's available, I'm going to have, Corbin throw and he's a lefty. I'm gonna have Corbin throw yeah. six and seven, and then I'm gonna go to Doolittle, and then I'm gonna go to Hudson. You know, is that do you have a game plan going into, it or do right. you let the game kind of feel itself out? I think the postseason favors the proactive managers. I think it favors the the managers who are looking ahead in terms of matchups and such, and aren't waiting for their pitcher to get in trouble, and then to you know, then they start warming somebody up in the bullpen, and by the time they turn around, it's three nothing because they were they wanted to get their let their starter go through four or five innings. Yeah. I think it I think the postseason tends to uh favor the managers who look at, look ahead, look at the matchups and say, even though Max Scherzer is, has not allowed a run yet, we want to pull him in the sixth because we know, you know, this hitter hits particularly well against him. We like this matchup from Strasburg. We like this matchup from Corbin. So that being said, I don't know if Davey, we have not seen him manage in a playoff scenario right. yet. Yeah. I don't know if he's going to act that way. We don't know, you know, exactly how he's going to act under those circumstances, but I think that's probably how he should act given the history of postseason play, especially in recent years. Right. It'll also be interesting to see how the Brewers approach this side of things in terms of their pitching staff. We know they have experience. They did had found some success with the way they were able to manage games last year in last year's postseason got to a game seven of the NLCS uh, right now again nothing's definite we don't even know it's for sure that the Brewers are going to be the opposition in the wild card game but uh, on the assumption that it is it looks like Jordan Lyles could possibly get that start he's he started last night Wednesday so he would be on normals day rest um, start Tuesday and He's been one of the more consistent starters. I know the the Brewers aren't high on starting pitching. They like using their bullpen to the full extent, playing the matchups. Uh, I'll be curious to see how they kind of approach this Nationals lineup that's been hot and cold. I would say more hot than late as of late. We talked about last week how they kind of went through a tough stretch against good opponents. Um, but, you know, when they're on, they're on. And, again, in just one game, you know, if you get Anthony Rendon going – three for four, Trey Turner getting on base, Juan Soto hitting whatever, it's going to be tough to manage. How do you see the Brewers approaching this game? We know they're going to use a lot of relievers, but do you think, do they use an opener? Do they use Jordan Lyles for the first four or so innings right. and then go to that pen? I'd be interested to see how they kind of map it out against this Nationals lineup. I mean, a big storyline coming into the game is, is these are two teams with radically different team-building philosophies right. from the front office. Uh, uh, Mike Rizzo invests in every year very, very heavily into that starting rotation, and he says, I'll figure out the bullpen as we go along. 
Brewers on the exact opposite yeah. side. They say we want as many good relievers as we can get, and we'll figure out the starters as we go through the season. Lyles is a nine-year vet, not exactly the prototypical wild game, wild card game, game seven, game one starter. He's not an Winner ace. take all kind of game. Yeah, he's yeah. he's not an ace. Um, I don't know how long of a, a leash he's going to get. So he started out the year with uh, Pittsburgh was traded in July, was pretty terrible for the Pirates. 5.36 ERA in 17 games for them, got traded over. Second year in a row, he's gotten traded to the Brewers midseason. <laughs> in 2018, last year, he started out with the Padres, got traded midseason, and pitched well. Again, after a you know first half of the year, was pretty bad for the Padres, gets traded, does has a three-ish ERA for the um, Brewers down the stretch. So, the Brewers just know how to unlock these guys. I don't know how, but they have been able to figure it out with several of these guys and and have them get them to have success in Milwaukee where they haven't otherwise. But yeah. um, I don't know exactly. Lyles has been pitching like an ace as of late. He's got a two three five ERA, I think, with the Brewers. But that being said, he doesn't have the endurance of an ace. I don't think at this point. Right, and this is why my again, not knowing definite what's going to. Who, how it's going to play out and who's going to play who in the wild card game. On the assumption that it's the Brewers, my biggest concern with the Brewers is that the beginning of the game is going to dictate how it goes yeah. for me. Because if you have Max Scherzer going against a Jordan Lyles, the Nationals need to take advantage of him starting for the Brewers early in the game, early. They need to score early and often, and Max needs to be Max and not let the Brewers get ahead early. Because once you get to that bullpen, it weighs heavily in favor for the for Milwaukee. Because you look at the bullpen in terms of just winning and losing, I know pitching records you know, go out the window. They don't really mean anything. We don't, take, we don't put too much stock in those numbers. But for the Nationals, they have the worst. Uh, they're the worst in the National League in losses and relief, <laughs> meaning that they're – they have the most losses accredited to their relief pitchers. The Brewers are the best. So once they get into their, that bullpen and they take the lead, it's basically game over. Yeah. Um, the Nationals have the second worst bullpen ERA in baseball. The Brewers have the sixth in the National League, which is about the middle of the pack, but not the worst. We know that about the Nationals, though. But on the flip side, the Nats' starting rotation is the second best in all of baseball, and the Brewers is 15th, middle of the pack. So it, to me... For the Nationals to win this matchup with the Brewers' bullpen looming, you got to get to them early because you might not score too many runs late. It's going to be very difficult for the yeah. Nationals to score in the later innings if they're trailing and if the, and the, the Brewers are just playing with their matchups and just throwing whoever they have in that pen out there. You don't want to go into the seventh inning down or even tied at that point. Yeah. I think, yeah, I completely agree. I think they need... Not the only way they can win, but their best chances of winning this game are if they have a two or more run lead yep. going into about the seventh inning. Strike early and often. Yeah, because they, like you said, Bobby, they, they that Brewers bullpen is shut down. And other than Lyles in terms of the way that they could go, we could see the Brewers throw out more starters like um, the Nationals probably will do. Right. But they have guys that are kind of hybrids for them as well. Uh, they have Brandon Woodruff who, uh, by the way, Lyles, you might remember, faced the Nats back on August 17th and really struggled, allowed five runs on seven hits in four innings against the Nationals. So he has not had a good appearance against the Nats. That might have uh, something to do with it. Uh, but Woodruff, on the, on the flip side, has been awesome against the Nats oh, in 18 and two-thirds innings against the Nats. In his career, he's 2-0 and with a sub-1 ERA. So 
Woodruff, I would think, would be the first guy out of the pen if it is, in fact, Lyles that starts that game. Right, yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how they match that up. That Woodruff nugget is, is interesting because you might as well just have him start or be the opener for Lyles if you want to eat more innings up. Right. Um, and then just kind of play the matchup game from there on out. It's a one winner take all. Anything can happen. There's yep. all hands on deck. I'm excited. I'm I, excited too. I haven't covered a wild card game. I've never had to, you know, be, been there for a wild card game. Yeah. It's it's the, gotta be a different ac- atmosphere. We covered the uh when the Orioles were in Toronto for the wild card game, obviously the, the Zach Britton game, but only Olivia Witherick got to go. And we had we had we had to stay back here and manage all the production from the studio. So the atmosphere looks insane. If it's at Nationals Park, that's gonna be incredible. I yeah. mean I can't wait it also will be super exciting to go to either Milwaukee or St. Louis, both huge baseball towns and great fan bases. So either way, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but we'll continue this conversation with the, with the pitching because the Nationals have their own question. We kind of touched on it right here right now. Who are they going to start um, for the Walker game? It's looking like Max Scherzer, but is there an argument to be made for Steven Strasburg? We'll touch on that coming up. But first, a message from Amy Jennings. Hey Nats fans, thanks for tuning in to today's podcast and since your team is headed to the postseason, you should head over to MassInSports.com for all of the coverage. Mark Zuckerman's looking at where the Nats could play their wild card game and who they could play and Byron Kerr's looking at Davey Martinez's late season managing moves. All of that and more on MassInSports.com. Thank you, Amy Jennings. Welcome back to the Mass and All Access podcast presented by Marymount University. All right, Paul, there are so many questions surrounding this NL wildcard game. We know the Nationals are definitely in it. We don't know who their opposition is. We don't know who or where they're going to play. Uh, the National League Central is just a mess. Uh, but another question for the Nationals on the field uh, can be talked about right now. We know that for certain that these are probably going to go one or two ways. Who is going to take the mound to start the game for the Nats in this wildcard game? I, obviously, Max Scherzer comes to mind right at the top of your head when you talk about starting. He's your ace. He's the bulldog. Um, he's the Cy Young Award winner. But people have been making, and I think it's a strong and fair case and a good discussion for Steven Strasburg to start the game because of the season he's had. And he, he obviously being a stable for the Nationals his entire career, um, he might have deserved, pitched his way into this role um, this season because of how well he's played in 2019. I've heard the case. I disagree with the case, but I've heard the case, and it makes sense. Um, you know, uh, Straws, as you might remember, two years ago in that series against the Cubs, got the ball in game one because Max was dealing with stuff, injury stuff. Yeah. And uh, Straws pitched, pitched really well. They didn't win that game, but that was a great moment, and it was great because it's, you know, a, a homegrown guy who's been around this franchise more than almost anybody um, getting the ball in in that big-time game. And we've seen him come up big in, in those games. Remember, he pitched game four of that series. Um, in 2017, in which um, you know he, he that was like his flu game when he was yeah. sick and was a uh, last it was going to be Tanner Roark and then last minute he jumps back in, pitches six innings of I think shutout or one run ball yeah. um, against the Cubs and then one of the best performances I've ever seen and Michael A. Taylor hits a grand slam so uh, Strasburg has come up at big times um, to me I think it's I think it's still got to be Scherzer. But let's get into it because yeah. there, there, there's definitely a case to be made. Well, I think I, I think this conversation needs to start with Max's return from the IL um, because let's just look at their product of work from there on to the current to the present time because we know what they did at the beginning of the season. Strauss has this has been one of his, if not his best season 
in his entire career. Max was on a tear to start the season, um, pitched his way back into the Cy Young. Not that he ever really left, but pitched his way to the top of the Cy Young conversation. Um, but obviously, injuries kind of brought his season down, slowed it a bit. He's back. He came back on August 22nd and started against the Pirates, and he's been back ever since. His ERA, ERA has creeped up since his return. Now, to be expected, though, because he's probably pitching less innings, not fully 100%, giving up some runs. Um, but there have been some quality outings there, and, and I think it was good that he started his comeback trail against lesser opponents. You know, he pitched against the Pirates and the Orioles. Um he didn't do too hot against the Mets, but no one against on the Nationals did hot against the Mets this year. Um, he looked really good against Atlanta. And then you also think about that start in St. Louis a week or so ago, and he was cruising. And if not for Juan Soto basically dropping a ball due to the sun, he gets out of, you know, he gets, I think, only two runs in seven innings and I think 10 strikeouts. So that was like a classic Max Scherzer start. He's been better. He's been doing better since he got back. Um, but... I think the main question is, is he 100%? He says so. Does he look 100%? He's looked better. He looked good on Tuesday night um, in the clinching game, I suppose, against the Phillies. I understand he's your – I think it's just a conversation to be had because it can go either way. For me personally, if I'm a Nationals fan, which I am when I'm not working, it's I, I can almost muster – Losing better if Max Scherzer's on the mound. You know, if Max Scherzer doesn't pitch and you lose, it's kind of like, well, why didn't he pitch? Right. You know, it's like if he does pitch, it's like, well, we gave him our best. What can you do? You know, we had our best out there. What can you do? But on the other hand, Steven Strasburg has been more consistent throughout the season and m- might give you the best chance to, to, like we say, get into the later innings right. without uh, having a deficit. Yeah, I think I think it's... It's similar to 20, not to throw it back to 2017 again, but in game five, remember how Max Scherzer begged to pitch and gets into the game and gets the first two guys and then all of a sudden surrenders two runs. Um, in relief, though. In relief, in relief. But it was a similar situation where it's like, look, if he if he feels like he can go, we're throwing him out there regardless. And it was, you know, ultimately it didn't work out, but you had to at least use him because yeah. he you can't leave your best weapon unused when you're going up against you right. know in a winner take all uh, scenario like that, so I think yeah, I think it would reflect. It would not be a good look if they were not to pick to start Max Scherzer and they lose that game. If you do start Max Scherzer and then you lose that game, it's like well, okay, at least you know you 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 threw your ace out there. I don't think we would be having this conversation if Max didn't have a, about as bad a a month in September as he's ever had yeah. in his Nationals career. Um, he has a five-plus ERA in five starts in September. In his last three starts, he has a 6.11 ERA. Ooh. Now, granted, against three pretty good teams, Atlanta Braves, the St. Louis Cardinals, and the Philadelphia Phillies. And as you mentioned, Bobby, one of those is not, um, you know, one of those outings, the St. Louis one, if... if those are five runs, three of them right. came from that drop ball. S- still, since since his return from the IR... Uh, I or IL rather, uh, he has go, his ERA has gone from a two point four one all the way up to a two nine two. He might have lost this Cy Young in over the past yeah. month. I mean, we were to, we a couple weeks ago at that point gave him the Cy Young. Now I don't know after after back to back starts in in which he allows four or more runs. It's tough to say. It's it's tough to give him that at this point. 
if if he still had that 2.41 ERA, he would have a whole run ERA better than Steven Strasburg. We wouldn't even be having this conversation, but it's be because uh, Scherzer continues to struggle in September. Yeah, and then you look at Strasburg's September, which I think concludes today. I believe he's pitching for the Nationals today in their finale of the five-game series against the Phillies. But you look at his September, 2.63 ERA, and he's gone 2-2. Two and two. Well, right. The Nationals have gone 2-2 two and two in his four starts. He's 1-1. One and one. He's got 26 strikeouts at 13 Ks. But then you also keep in mind, yeah, but he also shut out the Marlins for seven innings, and it's the Marlins, and he yeah. always pitches well against the Marlins. And then his other outings, he gave up two runs in f- just five innings to the Cardinals, two runs in six innings to the Twins, and then three runs in six innings against the Braves. So, again, better opponents giving up runs in less innings. Um, kind of give and take. Yes, his ERA overall is lower, but... You know, he his one really good outing came against one of the worst teams in baseball, and he was just so-so against the other teams. And, and you know, hovering around seven or six strikeouts an outing, that's not typical Strauss. That's not typical Max either. You would expect Max, Max like we mentioned earlier, probably get closer to 10 a, P, 10 a game. He leads, I think, all of baseball in, in an amount of 10-plus strikeout games. Um, so it's like, on one hand, yeah, it's Max Scherzer, but, you know, he hasn't been great as of late. He's still coming back from his injury. On the other hand, it's yes, it's Steven Strasburg who's been on fire, but his outings are coming against the Marlins. And then you look back even further, the outing before his last outing in August was against the Marlins, another zero over eight innings. So like his, yeah. that's keeping his ERA down because he's playing such inferior opponents. And and like you said, Max Scherzer, yes, he's also playing the same opponents, but giving up runs too and giving up home runs uh, at that. And that's kind of a concerning in a one game take all every run counts. You can't afford to give up a home run early in the game. Well, and I think these are, these are questions that may need to be, you know, that need to be asked because I think ultimately, I think you might uh, arrive on the same conclusion that you had beforehand, which is still it's max, but you can't go into any, any one game playoff like this or any playoffs you know, with set things and we're going to do this and we absolutely are unmovable on this, you have to look at every scenario because you have to keep the options on the table. It's not blasphemous that we're talking about this. We have to no. talk about it. It's, it's a good problem to have. Yeah. Um, so the other thing to throw out there is both of these guys have started games against the Brewers this year to radically different results. Steven Strasburg in his one start against uh, the Brewers, six and two-thirds, and he allowed uh, four earned runs. He did strike out 11, but he definitely struggled. And Scherzer, in six innings, allowed just one run, struck out 10. So, um, And you, the aforementioned success he's had against this lineup throughout his career. Yeah. And so, obviously, understanding that it might not be the Brewers, but Max Scherzer has the edge there, yeah. you know, I'd say. And, and both guys just faced the Cardinals, too. So if it ends up being the Cardinals, you know, Two, again, two runs over five from Strauss, five over six and two thirds, but it would be two over seven yeah, not for stopped. a fly ball. So it's like, you know, and also the 10 strikeouts. Oh, excuse me, 11 strikeouts for for Max against the, the uh, Cardinals. So it's like, uh, yeah, I mean, again, so much remains to be seen. We don't know who or where. Um, is there any chance this, what if it's on the road? If it's on the road, I think it's undoubtedly Max. I think, I think Max is kind of the, Bulldog mentality where I can pitch in any environment. It doesn't matter. I live up to the hype. For me, even though Steven Strasburg has been still so consistent, having his best season, he just loves that comfort of home. And going through his pregame routine, again, he's pitched well on the road yeah. at St. Louis, at Miami, asterisks. But 
I think if it's on the road, you got to go with Max because he just has that mentality of I'm on the road in a hostile environment. It doesn't right. matter. I'm going to go shove. I agree. Even though we still have, like you mentioned, that Cubs outing for Strasburg back yeah. in 2017. I agree. And I think for that exact same reason, that's why that tells you everything you need to know about who should pitch regardless. Yeah. Because, you know, you put it you put it right there. Uh, it is his he has that mentality, he has that bulldog mentality. If it's even if it's at home, he's still going to need that toughness, that mentality. Strasburg I granted Strasburg has that. I mean, we we like I said, we've seen it in playoff games before from Strasburg, but Scherzer's on a different level. He's a he's unlike anybody in the game right now almost in terms of his intensity. Um, and I think for that exact reason, I think that's that's um, another great reason why it's got to be Scherzer, regardless of where this game is played. Any chance that we see both? I think high chance. High chance. Say. I would say... Dave uh, Martinez already mentioned that he's had conversations with all starting pitchers. So Right. I would say there's a... Un- unless Scherzer throws an absolute gem and goes into the seventh inning... And then they only need two innings left. I would, and you know what? It, you know the, the the scenarios are endless, but like they could go into the seventh inning, have a big lead, and then it's like, well, we're looking next to game one, so let's not burn Strasburg. Right. Um, but I would say, I think probably if I had to guess right now, I say Scherzer goes five or six, and I think Strasburg is the first guy out of the bullpen. Right. The, now that kind of ties back into the question that we talked about earlier. Do you go in with a game plan of right. you're getting this, you're getting these innings, you're getting these innings, and you're getting these innings, or do you go with the game flow? Because if you're gonna do that, if you're gonna, I think if you have a game plan, I think, and you know you're gonna play, you're gonna pitch Max Strauss, possibly Corbin, um, and then Hudson, Doolittle, right, whoever. I think you're better suited off to have Strasburg start and Max come out of the bullpen because of that mentality. I think Max has that better mentality of coming out of the bullpen as opposed to Strasburg, where I don't think Steven Strasburg has ever done it. We saw maybe back in, I want to say 2014, it was a possibility and it never happened. But again, Strauss likes his routine. He likes his comfort. So let him start the game, do the flip. What you just said, you get five, maybe six. And then Max, you've got six through seven or five through seven. But also mentioned... But then that kind of throws away the ability to kind of play with the feel of the game because now you're stuck to this game plan probably. And I, and frankly, I think, uh, you know, I see what you're saying about his mentality helping him out of the bullpen. I see it as the other way around. I think if he goes into the game knowing I'm starting, he's getting the ball, he's tossing, you see him in his warm-ups and how intense he is. You know he has an exact plan for which hitters he's going to face. And, it, you know, he blows through the lineup the first time through, typically. First innings, he, he blows through those yeah. guys. So I think he that suits him better as a starter, and I think that's why um, he I would want him starting right out of the gate. And and as mentioned, in 2017, and that, that it's one game, obviously, and it's one scenario, but did not pitch well in relief. So was it because he, you know, wasn't as comfortable coming out of the bullpen? He didn't know the matchups quite as well? He didn't have a strict plan? We don't know, but I would still feel better Right out of the gate with Max having the ball. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that outing of the bullpen against the Cubs in 2017, that was, I think, another scenario where he was at two outs. He was one out away. It was. And there was an error. I don't think it was an error. I think it was a double down the line, if I recall. So he was like a pitch away from getting out of it. He was. He had two strikes on him, I think. Oh, and I think that might have been the inning. Later on in that inning, 
where Worth dropped the fly ball in the left. I was going to say, was it Worth dropping the fly ball, or was there Weeders there were like trying eight to... like errors in that Or game. was it Weeders trying to pick someone off at first, and the ball went down, like, went down? Yes. It, yeah. it, it was one of those two, I think, happened in that inning. That inning, that That game. was just... That Talk was, about wild. Yeah, that yeah. was crazy. Uh, interesting, interesting, interesting. Again, I think, because, like, if you're going into it, all right, well, because I, I can't, I, you can't, I, to me, you can't tell Steven Strasburg, just sit and wait. I'll let you know when to get ready. Because I think he needs to be on his schedule. You can tell Max, be like, hey, be, you need to sit and wait and be ready when I called upon. And he'll be like, all right, I'm ready. I'm like, I'm in. Because he's always got that, like, just yeah, competitive nature. If you go in with, like, all right, I'm going to go Max, then Strauss, maybe Corbin, but if not necessary, then I'm just going to go straight to Doolittle and Hudson. But then, all right, you're you're kind of telling Steven Strasburg you're probably going to go in, probably, and that's the key word, probably go in like the seventh or sixth inning. But then Max is cruising and you push him back or you meet him earlier. I think that really throws Steven Strasburg out. And now you're in a big hole that you've burned both of your best starting pitchers and now they're kind of flustered and right. everywhere and now you're down and now you have to turn it over to either Corbin or someone in your bullpen who you didn't yeah. want to pitch to begin with. Yeah, it's not ideal. By the way, I looked it up. It was the top of the fifth in that game seven or game five rather in 2017. Scherzer gets Bryant to ground out, uh, Rizzo to fly out, then a single on a ground ball by Contreras, another single by Zobrist. So with two outs, they have first and second. And then Addison Russell hit a uh, double down the line intentional walk to oh man that was just a blow up wow that is crazy and then it was the that it got swinging yeah pass it, ball yep after that intentional walk he was going to get out of it with so they they already two runs had scored then the pass ball so then one of those runs was unearned yeah so scherzer i Oof. believe yeah so uh two errors in that inning because so he hit <laughs> oh my gosh. He hit John Jay with a pitch in that inning. That is a terrible oh man, what a disaster. Again, a two outs away from getting out. If of the it. Nationals, or one out away from getting if out. If the Nats won that game, that would be the best win in franchise history, obviously. And now it's one of the worst. But now it's one of the worst. It's because like it was that like in game five against the Cardinals. It was this this close. Yeah. It was a flip of the coin. Yeah. It was it was not a good night. I remember that very yes. very fondly being very upset. I mm-hmm. just remember getting back onto the elevator after the clubhouse. And we get onto the elevator with other Nats. Uh, people are covering the Nats. And then, like, three people come from the Cubs clubhouse, and they're just soaked sh- soaked in yeah. champagne. Yeah. The agony of defeat. Oh, we know it well in Washington, D.C. We know it well. <laughs> Not to bring up those ghosts. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. Well, again, great conversation to be had. I think we're in agreement. I think we both see arguments either way, but I think we both, if it were up to us, we would put, put Max yes. out there to start wherever it may be, against whoever it may be. Um, so either way, it's going to be exciting. It's a wild card game. It's something that this fan base's team has never experienced before. Um, they seem so exciting and energetic. It's going to be fun to be there wherever it is. Yeah. Mass and Alexis will be there. Check out Paul's face on uh, your Facebook and Twitter feeds because we will be covering it from every angle, hopefully every angle, starting on Monday, a possible workout day, and then obviously Tuesday, the day of the game from Nationals Park, Miller Park, Bush Stadium, wherever it may be, Mass and Alexis will be there. You can give us a follow on Twitter, at Bobby underscore Blanco, at Paul Mancana. Also, make sure you are tuning into the Mass and Alexis podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Google Play. And you can watch us on the Mass and All Access Facebook page, the Mass and Nationals Facebook page, 
and the Masson Nationals Twitter and YouTube accounts. For Paul, I am Bobby. This is the Masson All Access Podcast brought to you by Marymount University. Visit MarymountSaints.com to learn more about our student-athletes and programs today.